practice and, and that your practice must be impeccable. Um, I use the term world-class because if you were practicing for the Olympics, you would practice, you'd know you would be on this great stage, international stage, and you would, you would want to do your best. And you would not um, leave anything out. Your training would be very uh, rigorous. And in the practice of Chan, we have a practice that's easy. You don't have to run 100 meter sprints. You don't have to lift weights. You don't have to do anything. You're just sitting on a cushion. There's not too much effort there, right? So you can be an Olympic meditator without having too much effort. The only thing is you have to know the fundamentals and then you have to put the effort to stay awake. That's it. Okay, so not, not too bad, not too bad. The only thing easier than that is going to sleep at night. But here we're saying stay awake. And so, but when you sit down you find it's not so easy to do that. You find that when you try to stay awake you, you get caught up in illusion. And you see illusions here, you see illusions there. And after a while that's all you practice. So I've been pushing this for quite a long time, and then when I read Master Boshan, um, I knew I was on the right track because that's what he was teaching. So I want to, to teach from his teachings to you so that you, you see, I'm just not making this stuff up. This is, this is good stuff that came up a long time ago, and I'm sure that he learned it from his masters. And See if there's a, I think there was a preface to this. Practice must be taught. Taught, T-A-U-T, means very tight, uh, impenetrable, and integra integrated and persuasive. So the idea of a taught practice is what I was talking about, this impeccability. All of this I would put under impeccability uh, in my term. Impeccable meaning that without seam to it. it, it um, it's just completely smooth. And he says, what is taught practice? Our human life exists in the in and out of our breath. Without resolving this great matter of birth and death, when the next breath comes, uh, what, excuse me, when the next breath does not come, you'll completely be lost as to your destiny. Since you don't know where you will go after you die, you have no choice but a taught practice. So what he's saying is here that you're, if, if you don't practice this way, then on the moment when you have your last breath, then you won't know where to go. You'll be 
in, anybody know what that period's called? Bardo period. So you could be in the Bardo period. And, and that Bardo period determines where this essence of, of what was you is reborn. And, and so, but it has no choice where it's going to go. In the Bardo period, it's a very strange, strange place. When I was a young child, I used to have a recurring dream. And I would, I would dream like a beeping sound, almost like a beep, beep, beep. And I had the sensation of movement, but nothing there. Just a sensation of movement, but dark, until I saw like a light, like, like a glowing light like that. And then, boom, I entered the light. And that was the dream I, I kept having as a little kid, never figured it out until I realized that that was my consciousness in the Bardo period, that I was entering a light, and I could feel the sensation and the attraction to that particular light. And, and as you're approaching the, the, the light, you feel comfortable, you go, this is home, this is, there's a resonance there that draws you into that light, and then boom, you're in the next life. When people are um, coming into this world, they have no idea where they're going to go next. They just head towards whatever light. The light of, of enlightenment is too bright, pushes them away. Oh, I can't see that. That's like too much, you know, thousand watt bulb. So they keep going, going, going until they end up at a light that, that fits them. And when that light fits them, then that's where they come in. So it's interesting, because let's compare what Ling Chi was saying, see if I can find that. Um, he was saying that, make no mistake, you followers of Chan, if you don't find it in this life, then for a thousand kalpas you will be born again and again in the threefold world. You'll be lured off by what you think our favorable environment, so you'll be lured off. You'll head towards that light because you go, oh, that's, that looks really, really good. And he says, um, you will be lured off in what you think are favorable environments only to be born in the belly of a donkey or a cow. Is that what you guys want? But that's what he's saying is these are exhortations of these masters and they're telling you, hey, and Ling Chi came before, so Boshan is following that same pattern, saying, hey, if you don't do this, you have no control over your destiny. But if you understand this, you understand the matter of life and death, you understand that you can come back. You can come back wherever you want to come back at. And so, so because you understand. Why? Because if you understand and you're there with awareness, you're not following consciousness and its habitual patterns. But there's awareness, yes. What are the chances of um, just like us being here, hearing that about the bright light, the brightness, and uh -huh. um, I've read a little bit of the Tibetan Book of the Dead about bright light. Yes. What are the chances of having that awareness, passing away, and remembering in that moment to go toward the bright light? Um, As opposed to never hearing it at all? 
your let's put it this way your chances are better practicing than if you don't practice right so in accordance with your causes and conditions in accordance with your vows so like for me to make a vow I'm not go, I don't vow to go to heaven my vow is to deliver sentient beings so I'm coming back here so I don't know how long how many times I've come back in this way somewhere along the line it took me a while to get going in this lifetime but you you come back in accordance with those vows so it's almost like an automatic pilot that that for some people others they can determine where they go you know other masters they can know exactly okay this is ground zero where I'm going to land at right. and they can do that I mean those are very very great masters but the more one practices the more one has that ability to to land in let's say these favorable environments and um, favorable being the human realm versus the heaven realm because in the heaven realm it's very very difficult to to land in it um, and practice because it's just such a cool place literally you feel real comfortable there but nothing is happening and so even though you've attained great merit to get there it's not a place where you you want to just stay at you know you want to keep um, moving forward with that so so um, it's an interesting thing, you know, in terms of that, there, there was um, a sutra um, of the inconceivable state of Buddhahood in which uh, Manjushri was talking to the, the king of the Tusita heaven and, and using his power, his mind power, he enabled all of the occupants of that heaven to, to be brought forth at that very moment and bringing them all in they were blown away they're going like well, we thought we we could do things and they started they were in awe of this mind power of Manjushri that he did this but we have the ability in 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 us to do that so when you speak the Dharma to shake the heavens and and it can happen in that way we don't shake them in a bad way where where, where the people are um, you know you could say in some way it's frightened because what it does is it wakes them up to hey why is this place like this we thought it was a real stable place but there's something going on the Dharma is being taught and, and, and the mind power is so great it literally can do that and it brings forth and you can bring forth all these people how is this happening is this real or not real it's real and it's not real if you bring forth the for instance in the bodhisattva precepts you cannot believe how many bodhisattvas buddhas appear at a bodhisattva precept i mean it's absolutely awe-inspiring can most people see that? No, not many people can see that. But they can sense it. But it's there. Why? Because of the mind power of, of those participants in that room at that time bring forth that ability to, to draw all of those things there. And so we use this mind power at the moment of our death and, and from our practice before that to keep our mind stable enough so that we have awareness of where we're going rather than on um, uh, using consciousness to do it. So 
So the, the likelihood of that happening is, is very, very great to determine where you're going to go. Understanding mind, understanding your practice, having a, a stable practice at that time when you die. And then you can, you can do very good. There was a lady that uh, came, a young girl about 30 years old, that um, came to a retreat in Michigan. And, um, and I'm telling you these stories because these stories, you know, I'm mixing the ones that we say from the scriptures with actual things and, and so that you understand how it works. But this lady came um, um, to the retreat and right away as soon as I saw her, I said, this, this girl is special. There's something about her. She has a very incredible light around her. And then... Um, her mom was there, and um, the the girl she she was very very beautiful, but a very interesting thing. She had two boyfriends, and boy two no not at the same time, two boyfriends. But they both ran off without telling her anything. They just left her, and and so she was heartbroken, and was wondering what was wrong with her. I'm going, you you have a master's, you know, and you're like you're you're young, you're, you're like like the ultimate catch, you know. Hopefully you won't get a gigolo, because he'll live off you for the rest of his life. But the, but the thing was is that because of causing conditions, and she had some obstructions kept her from, do, from getting this, but the mom was putting pressure on her, you gotta get married, you're 30 years old. You know, in China that's like in like dog age, you know, 60 years old, you know, you gotta get married now. And. And so I told her, Mom, don't worry about that. But I said, your daughter is, is somebody special. And, that, and then I said, she has somebody behind her. And um, like an older lady, like, like a grandma or someone like that, that's like her protector. And so, she, so the, the woman said, yeah, that was her great-grandmother. And her great-grandmother was a great practitioner. When she died, she died sitting like this. So, you know, and it's very interesting because I always wanted to, to, to do that. I don't care if I'm dying, you know, just prop me up, strap a board on me, at least I could try to die like that. But, but that, that is very, very, you know, amazing thing to be dying in a, in a meditation posture. And, and so, so there, there's those connections there, but I was able to see these things and see that about this, this particular person, and, and she also had many, many masters when she was young tell her that, that this was a special daughter. So you can see those things. How can you see those things? You can't see them with your regular eye, but, but nevertheless, they're there, and, and you can sense it from your heart, and so, these kinds of intuitiveness, they are beyond the faith of your five senses. So you, you can't see those things, so you say, oh, well, they don't exist, or that's, that's baloney, or whatever. But if you'd followed my life, through my whole life, and all the incredible things that have happened in it, you know, it would really defy statistical probability of the things that happen. I'm not saying I'm that great, I'm not. What I'm saying is, is that these things are indications of something beyond that and the connections there. And so 
your question is, can you do that? Yes, you can. You can. That's why it's there. And that's why they talked about it in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, to give you a break and to give the people who are dying a chance to get through all of that, you know, and try to, to, to get unstuck from wherever they're at. So, so it's important. So anyway, I think that answered your question, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, now that we've talked about all the esoteric stuff, I'm talking more about esoteric things than I thought I was going to talk about today. Um, but it's important because you know that you're practicing, you know it's important to practice because you only have these finite breaths. So then he says, um, well, let me read what he said. When, when your next breath does not come, you will be completely lost as to your destiny. Since you do not know where you will go after you die, you have no choice to have a, a top practice. What is an impenetrable practice? Because he said, your practice must be taught, impenetrable, and integrated and pervasive. He says, what is an impenetrable practice is like the non-existent gap between the hair of the brows and space. Needles cannot penetrate it, water cannot wet it. Your practice should not have any gaps. If there is even the tiniest gap, that is where demonic situations can gain entry. Very interesting because you're going like, whoa, what are you talking about demons now? Well, the demons are that which are created by the mind itself. What are the demons? Probably the biggest demon is going to be the self. And the demonic situations are being attracted to things that will lure you off the path. Do the demons exist? Yes, they do and they don't exist. But in the in Buddhist practice, when we say demonic situations, we don't necessarily mean it like the one like from um, what was the movie with the girl or Exorcist? Not like that. Most of the time, it's not like that. What what it what it means? The the thing is, is that in a demonic situation, what it means is the mind is not working right. And it gets attractive. For instance, in the Shrangama Sutra, they talk about the 50 demonic states. And the 50 demonic states have nothing to do with demons. It has to do with you achieving some form of intuitive ability and then thinking it's, it's like you're now the cat's meow. You're like really, really high up there and then stopping at that point. And that's demonic. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that with with Tibetan monks who can tell the future and all of a sudden became really good fortune tellers. And then they're off the practice. And they, they pull their whole entourage off the practice too by, by doing things like that. And they don't understand they're off, off the path. So he's saying, if you have even a little tiny sense of self there or any type of gap, and he's talking about this gap is self. And if you're trying to do that, then those things can happen all of a sudden this this master thinks he's like really high level because of that but it's not really high level in actuality it's very low level skill like to, to look into the future is, is low level skill and um but but to the people who don't know that they think wow this guy's a great master because he can tell me about things and then they get controlled by this master can manipulate them so you don't want that to happen. And he says, uh, 
what is an integrated and pervasive practice? When the world expands 10 feet, the ancient mirror expands 10 feet. But when the ancient mirror expands 10 feet, the firing furnace also expands 10 feet. You shouldn't attach or abide in, in any place. Do not seize the snake's head, nor snatch both ends of it. Just be boundless and limitless. An ancient worthy said, the way is perfect like great space, without lack, without excess. And these words, please try to contemplate what's being said here because what he's saying is that we shouldn't try to grasp the snake's head, try to grasp our vexations, or try to hold on to both sides of those vexations. You know, the, the part that's dangerous on say that it's not, we just see it as being created in the mind. When we see it's created in the mind, then our mind is very expansive. Right now, the way you use your mind doesn't go outside this room. But mind is so unlimited, so that if you want to see something from a distance, boom, it's there. Because the mind is there, it's not that hard to do. If you attach to that type of stuff, then what happens is that you mess everything up. Because then you're just uh, performing circus acts. If you let those things go, you don't pay attention to them. They're there and they indicate a mark that you're on. You're practicing well, but you continue practicing. And so here is, is that when, when you encounter things, essentially the mind expands to those things. It's very easy in terms of our practice. We, we understand because when we use mind, our awareness can, can be aware of, of all things. So you want to use your awareness for the entire universe and beyond. Your awareness will expand that large. Don't believe me. Just look at the universe right now. Just try to picture it. Be aware of the universe. aware. Don't picture it. Be aware of it. The awareness will form the picture.
through see awareness when you use awareness it can expand so large and simultaneously it can notice the breath right at the tip of your nose so clear calm mind expands in this way in accordance with cause and condition as needed wherever the mind wants to go it can go and when you understand this it makes your practice easier you're very very clear about your practice so what master Boshan said was When you really have attained the stage where your practice is integrated and persuasive, pervasive, then internally you will not perceive body and a mind. Externally there will be no such thing as the world. This is the beginning of gaining the entry into the genuine practice. So at this point now, you start getting the genuine practice. It's like somebody who's learning the Kung Fu or Karate and they get a black belt. At that level, that's the beginning. That's when they really start to do that. And so when, when they talk about these the essentials for, for beginning of Chan practitioners, they're talking about somebody who's at this point, not somebody that just crossed their legs for the first time. They're saying, hey, you gotta get to here first. Now, now we can tell you that you're a practitioner. And so when you can get there where you, where you can keep your mind on the practice, you understand mind, now it's the time when you start investigating. Before that, you're just kind of starting to see if you can, you can gain entry to the school. You're not, you're, you're not really a participant yet. You're, you're trying to get there, and then when you get to where you can quiet the mind, and then that's when it all starts beginning to, to fall into place doesn't mean I'm not like de demoting you guys today, okay? What I'm doing is just putting it in, in relation of, of where you, you, you need to be at to, to bring this A-game to, to, to practice. And if you bring this A-game in the course of a morning, you, you're there. You're there. It, that's all it takes. All you got to do is just keep going the way you've been meditating this morning. And when you're meditating this morning and you're doing awareness, that's it. And you see, ah, I can feel the universe. I'm aware of the universe and boom, as quickly as you do it, you can sense the air at the, at the tip of your nose. But now you can really sense it, right? It's a little different. All of a sudden you have this, this clarity of the sensation of, of this breath on your nose that awareness is all there. When practicing, it is not crucial to arouse, oh, excuse me, it is crucial not to arouse the least bit of extraneous thought. So that's the akusala thought where you're attaching to something or you're giving rise to the cell. Whether walking, staying, sitting, lying, simply bring forth the fundamental question of the Watteau to arouse the doubt sensation. Here he's referring to the Watteau practice, but it can be in any meditative practice. So you give rise to your method. And he says, if there's the least bit of extraneous thought, it is what the ancient ones referred to as fatal poison entering the heart. 
not only will this harm your physical life, but it will also harm your wisdom life. Adherent should be careful. So he's saying that this fatal poison, like let's say you have anger, then if he's referring to in the Chinese study of medicine, it would affect your liver. Fear would affect your kidneys. Sadness affects your lungs. Hatred, your heart. So as you look at these, um, worrying your stomach. So so if you have any of these these ailments, you have to look to your emotions. So the emotions are giving rise and attaching to certain situations in life that bring forth these these feelings that affect you, but they also affect your your wisdom because you don't you lack the wisdom to be able to see those things are coming from causes and conditions the so-called extraneous thoughts are thoughts that relate to the worldly phenomena other than thorough investigation of the mind so now he's telling you here's the key other than thorough investigation of the mind all other thing all other good things within bodhidharma are considered extraneous thoughts not only the good things within the Bodhidharma, but also whatever can be grasped, shunned, attached, transformed outside of the mind of essence is considered extraneous thoughts. So any phenomena is ex extraneous thoughts. So when we're sitting and we're practicing, we're investigating Chan. Investigating Chan is, is looking directly into mind. How do we look directly into mind is maintaining the awareness of the mind. When we maintain the awareness of the mind, we're no longer chasing thoughts. And staying in that awareness of the mind, you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to do anything. Mind will come to you. Mind will envelop everything that's in the consciousness, like a Pac-Man. It will, it, will, it will envelop it. And after a while, as one begins to see it, you begin to see it like a seer seeing these thoughts as if the mind splits into two. But it isn't really splitting into two, it's just simply that one is aware of these thoughts. And so from this idea of knower or seer, it sees these things until one point where it merges together. And then there's no longer an inside or outside. Like, like he was saying here that um, it, there isn't um, an extraneous uh, uh, least bit of extraneous thought. Um, so as you begin to see things in this way, it changes how one looks at the world. And that's very, very important when we see things. And, um, because we see the things when we look at the world as it really is not as, as we are interpreting it through the illusory self. In the course of the practice, most people complain that they cannot apply their efforts well. I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't, I can't practice. Every time I practice, I have a scattered mind. Precisely because they cannot apply themselves, they should apply themselves even more. So his answer to that is practice harder. Make your practice impeccable. Practice harder. There's no big 
key here. It's very simple. If you do this, you can become very, very good at it. Are, do any of you have any very unique skills? Play a, a, a piano, for instance. Anybody? You play the piano. You play at a high level or low level? or? But you used to play at a high level, and how did you get there to to play the, at the high level? Practice. Practice. That's right. It's like the old joke. Of how do you get to Carnegie Hall? You know, they asked the cab driver that. And said, practice, practice, and it is just this way. So, if you don't practice the piano, then you your level sinks. But if you practice the the piano hard, then you can play beautiful music. So the idea here is is that if we're good at something, it's because we practiced it. And when we practice something like that, then we know that it will pay off. It's very, very simple. Cause and conditions never fail. So that's why he's saying, hey, if you've got a sloppy practice, tighten it up. Tighten it up. Make, make it a better practice. It is like the person who is lost. It makes great sense for him to find his way. He cannot say, well, since I'm lost, I quit. You quit. There's quitting. There's no quitting in, in John. He's going to come back again and do it again. So, you don't quit. You just work harder at it. If you work harder at it, it will pay off. I, I guarantee you, it will. You just have to. You just have to do that. But people sit there, and not just this group. You see, people go to a long-term retreat, and they they sit down, and they're sitting fools. You know, like the Forrest Gump, running fool. They sit there, and they can sit there the whole day, but the lights aren't even on, and nobody's home. They're just in a dead samadhi. They're not using the proper method they're not doing the things in the right way but they're content they like that you know it's good you know and when they get up ah, it was a good nap but that's all it was it wasn't anything more what i'm doing is is i'm showing you how to do it right what you're practicing is bringing forth awareness so you use this awareness and you just add the time as you have in accordance with your uh, capabilities of doing it. So they said, the gate of liberation is gateless. One enters the way without intentions. The most important thing is to personally enter it. So here, what he was saying is, is that as we're going through it, there's nothing to pick up, nothing to put down. You just do it, but but it is um, just that way. You just do it. You got to get one of those Nike shirts and say, "Just, just do it." Okay, and and so that's all you do. It's very very simple. What do you do? You just sit in awareness. You stay with your method. You know the method is an illusion, but you just stay with that method in awareness. If you stay with your method and consciousness, you get nowhere. Now comes the next part. The most fearful thing in the practice is a witty or clever mind. 
A witty mind is like a food that annuls medicine. Um, or it could be like if you're taking medicine and you're an alcoholic and you follow it with a vodka chaser. If you give rise to the least bit of wit, then even then, when genuine medicine appears in front of you, it cannot cure you. If you were a true person of Chan, your eyes should be blind, your ears should be deaf. When thoughts arise, they should be like they're smashed up against a silver mountain or an iron wall. When, uh, when you can be like this, you will conform to the uh, genuine practice. This idea of a silver mountain is a mountain that's reflecting everything. So when it goes up against this, this it's there, but it, it cannot penetrate further. It only can be reflected on the true self-nature of mind. But it can never pit that silver, cannot dent it, cannot do anything. It's only projected and you understand that those is just phenomenal, which is impermanent. And as it's impermanent, it cannot harm you. Let it go. You just let it go. So every single time you, you, you're that way. If you have to picture it like a mirror in your mind, maybe a, uh, I never say a spherical mirror, like, like this, like a globe that you're inside. And just imagine it that way. And these thoughts are projected on it. So be it. Have that kind of a, of a sensation of, of being aware of, of these thoughts arising. And they're on this mirror. And then they just, they just go. You don't even notice when they go. Because they go on their own. Because you give them no mind power. They can only stay there if you give them mind power. And so if you're in a state of awareness and the thoughts arise, it's natural that they're arising, so let them arise. They will leave on their own accord because you've given them nothing to bring them back again. Now, if they're a very strong force, they'll continue to come up, and then they'll come back down. It, they will stay up with less intensity and for a shorter duration because they don't have a power to stay any longer. You're not giving it to them, so they're on weak batteries. And um, and so it's like trying to start a car and then the battery runs down and then and you wait for a little bit and then it starts running again, turning over again, but not as much as before and you wait again. And then the fourth time it doesn't start at all. And because there's no more power there, no more energy to turn that motor. So you use your wisdom to understand that if you stay in the state of awareness, nothing is going to be able to, to, to withstand that. All of the thoughts are going to leave on their own accord. You don't have to do anything to have them removed. And that's not even the goal. You don't have to remove all your thoughts to get into a state of trance. You just have to get into the state that you're completely aware of what's going on. You're illuminating mind. You illuminate mind to see when thoughts are beginning to arise. And so if it's a strong thought, it comes up and it's landing on, on the silver screen, but then goes away. Next time it's a little bit less. But you don't have to say, oh, next time it's going to be gone. You're just aware of the process that you're staying in the state of awareness. In the course of practice, do not fear mistakes. 
fear not realizing that you are wrong. Even though you make mistakes, if you turn your thoughts around and admit them, then this is what's hap- what it takes to, to become a Buddha or a patriarch. It is essential way out of birth and death. This is a useful weapon to rip off Mara's grip. Shakyamuni Buddha attained all the levels of the practice of the heterodox path. However, he did not dwell in those old ruts. By knowing and relinquishing what is wrong, he directly ascended from the ordinary to the holiest stage. And this is what you're doing is, is that when you practice, you're, you're just allowing yourself to know that these things are, are coming up. You don't have to whip yourself over them. You just let them come up. And, and the wisdom will teach you about them. The innate wisdom that you have and the wisdom you're generating from staying in this awareness will allow you, when you're letting these things fall off on their own accord, when you get up off your cushion, they have less uh, chance of affecting you as you're, you're uh, around other people. So when they, in the Heart Sutra, the first line is when the great Bodhisattva of Avalokitesvara was coursing through the deep Prajna Paramita. So coursing, what does that word mean, coursing? Huh? Practicing. Practicing? In, in contemplating. Contemplating. Coursing through the deep Prajna Paramita. It's interesting because you could say it's practicing, it's contemplating, but it's also in the everyday life. In the everyday life, we course through the deep Prajna Paramita, but we choose instead to be ignorant about it. But everything presents a, a testimony to the, the Buddha nature. Impermanence, impermanence, always there. It's, it's there clearly. Shifu used to say that the, the trees and the clouds, they whisper it, impermanence, impermanence. You just don't hear it. We can't hear the non-sentient beings. But we, when we course through something, it means at any time, at any stage, any place, we're coursing. Right now we're coursing through the deep Prajna Paramita. Some of you are, are, are collecting it and generating more wisdom. Others may be back at work. And then you get nothing. You're not getting paid to be at work today. So better to, you paid for this, you better, better for you to get uh, your money's worth. Okay? So the idea of coursing means at any moment you're using this. So when you get up off that cushion, then these vexations that you had, they're not as strong anymore. And the more you practice, the more your practice becomes taut, then the less likelihood those things are going to come up. Any questions so far? None? You, you guys have no questions, and then when, when, when you, we go to eat, or we afterwards you have a zillion. I have a question, uh, just trying to see how uh, relevant it is to uh, the practice. It always comes to my mind that uh, when I try to practice, uh, I try to be aware, uh, try to be in the softness state. Uh, at the same time, I know when I deal with uh, uh, one of the things I try to do it, is to, to, to understand the world, the, the, the country or the politics, 
So there is a structure to it. In a way, there is some staying power, even though it's impermanent. So I kind of sometimes always juggle between the, the, the softness they aware of, of where you are. At the same time, there is uh, something that there's a structure of the world that I need to understand. In order to understand it, I need to apply some stickiness of thought to it. So I, I my question will be, uh, from a practitioner perspective, how do you reconcile between this awareness of the current moment and the structure exists in the world? Because when we see things, we see them just as they are. For instance, let's say when the 9-11 thing happened with the World Trade Center, one of the things that really struck me was people were saying, wow, that's just like in the movies. What do you think of that? How many people were going to the movies to see all these terrorist movies, you know, the, destroying here, trying to blow up a stadium or whatever? And all of a sudden, these things happen. Cause and conditions never fail. We ask for it. We actually enjoy going, we're entertained by it. So the likelihood of that happening is probably great because we put in that into mind. So when we see the things like that, we don't see them as good or bad. We see them as a product of cause and conditions of collective karma. So whatever we see is a collective karma of, of things from, from before. We understand it in this way that cause and condition never fail. We don't look at it and say this is good or bad. Obviously we do not want you know, people to die unnecessarily. Um, we don't want people to die, period. You know? But the thing is, is that we don't want these kinds of atrocities happening. But we understand it through wisdom. Anytime we interject our, our thought pattern, our, um, then we create vexations and discriminations, which will, will cause um, more problems. So if a person says that he, and he's a president and he's saying, I don't trust Muslims, then what he's setting into motion is very, very dangerous in this world because there's a lot of Muslims in the world. And you have to be mindful of all the things that happen and you see clearly, uh-oh, these things are, are that way. But you don't see them from the judgmental part, but you see them from the point of view of using wisdom and seeing what's being set into motion. And when you look at it that way, you, you're not looking at it from the viewpoint of, of getting down in the dirt with it. What you do is you look at it as it is, why it's happening. and. And um, that's why one of the masters wrote a book saying the way things are. Because he's seeing the karmic forces there. That's the way things are. The way things happen is through mind. All of that's mind. And, and mind does not interfere and say, oh, only good things can happen. It says anything that comes up in mind, it comes up from a reason. And, and it's there. It may say, that it's better to to bring bring this state of mind back into some form of of a um, uh, a quietness, but 
in all likelihood that quietness will result in the ending of the samsaric world ultimately so I know it's kind of a weird one but really that's a destroyer of worlds and people would know I don't want this world to be destroyed um, and but it's not a world but an illusion but we see these things and we see them clearly and we use our wisdom to see it and that that's how we do it likewise when you're sitting on your cushion and you're meditating you're using your wisdom to practice and you're cultivating wisdom and generating wisdom how do you generate it by allowing the mind to return to its natural state which is this awareness so as you just sit there and you're in your natural state of awareness the mind the mind discloses itself in very interesting ways and and it reveals portions of it to you and it doesn't necessarily reveal it in a complete way it, it, that would be something that would be extremely extremely rare that just happens maybe every 2500 years or so but but it, it begins to reveal itself and little by little uh, fills in a lot of the mysteries that, that appear to be there, the contradictions. But even an initial peek at the world will, will resolve many, many contradictions that appear there and that we see that. But all you have to do is just understand everything is cause conditions and use your wisdom to see and you'll figure out why things are happening. Okay. And any other questions? Yes. I just wanted to comment on your question about um, when you're sitting on a cushion, you're working on your awareness, and yet you have to function in life with all these ways you call them sticky thoughts. But I don't think they're two different situations. It should be the same in both. In my, um, there should be no difference between the awareness you're using on a cushion and the awareness you're using to say fix your car you're just following the awareness of what you need to do to fix the car that's it's nothing more nothing less we call that following function yeah following function. so you follow function but when you know when you interject you know something else into it you know about about that it it changes the the situation you no, know, and all of a sudden you're you're bringing in things that that uh, are necessary, like a lot of swear words when you slam your your thumb, you know, with a hammer or whatever. But the thing is, is that you you just follow your function in in terms of that, and you'll find that awareness thoughts come and go and come and go and come and go. Um, so, but at the same time. That whole process is thoughtless, simply because you're not attaching to the thoughts. They're there and useful for the moment like a tool to fix a car, but when you don't need that, then what do you do with the tool? What do you do with your tools after you finish using them? Put them away. There you go, you see. So don't go to his garage, though. <laughs> you might find the wrench on the ground. <laughs> I'm kidding you. But, but the idea is just that way. So when you're using a thought to think about something, when the thought is no longer necessary, you just let it go away. 
Okay, you don't have these thoughts lingering around um, in your mind um, because they create shadows in the mind. And then after a while, if you have enough of them lingering in your mind, then your mind is very opaque. You, you cannot see anything. But when this is illumination, the illumination of the mind is to illuminate the consciousness, but not only illuminate the consciousness, but illuminate the collective consciousness and collective situations of the environment around you. And all of a sudden, this whole room is illuminated. It's wonderful. Why not choose that? See? And you had a question. Second. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, the awareness part, I, I have have a tendency of, like, wanting to chew on something when I'm on the cushion. Like, there's some concrete material, like, observing the breath and then counting it. There's like some concrete thing that you can chew on for a period of time. So like just awareness of anything, any phenomenon that happens and being aware and not caught up in it is like iffy to a point. So it's like, is, would there be a crutch that I can start on that would be a bit easier? Because again, I have that have a tendency to always want to chew on something. Yeah. Oh, uh, can you check and see where they're at with the with the lunch? See how much time we have. Um, I don't want to send everybody out there. They're still working. Sorry about that. It's better for you just to follow the method. Don't add anything to it. The mind is very very clever. It wants to to get some kind of an experience, and it wants to say, hey you really need to sort this out. So you and I are going to sort this out together. So the self is there going, yeah, you know, if you look at it this way and you look at it that way and do this and this, what happened to your method? Your method's gone. So don't do that. Don't do that. The thing is, is, is that when you're on your method, the more you're on the, your method, the more mind is going to reveal. But it's a self-cleaning oven. It, you don't have to do anything. You just twist the dial to method. So when you twist the dial to method, it cleans all the impurities out by itself. You don't have to do anything. Think about it. Go there with your plate. Give me some, a plate of wisdom. You don't do anything. You just simply stay, stay in a state of awareness, which is the self-nature of mind. And as you stay in a state of awareness, then the only thought that you have in that state is the method. No other thought should be in there. Hey, you're doing a really good job. No. Where'd that come from? That's not a reflection. Make sure that that gets slapped up there. And then in the beginning, when you're doing this, you may have to nudge the thoughts onto the onto this reflective surface. Okay? Kind of like, get away from me. Go up there. You know, when the self tries to get smooth up close to you and say, we're doing a really good job, get up there and get on, onto the thing. You, you, you do that. You don't have to do that all the time, but in the beginning, you're just trying to, to use your discernment to do that. Later on, it'll happen naturally. Later on, you'll just have this sense. Once you kind of create this image of your mind, in your mind that these thoughts are, are being... Um, come up and they're on this mirror mind and but you know anything that's any reflection that's in the mirror 
is an illusion. An only illusion that you look at is your method. So then you come back to that. But it's very easy because you have to remember two things I've talked about about what the, about the nature of the the self. Anybody remember what they were? It's clever and it's a coward. It's a cl it's clever and it's a coward. The self does not want to be discovered. It's very very afraid, but it's very clever too. It's a master of disguises. So it will disguise itself as your awareness. But if you find yourself engaged in a discussion, that's self. Awareness is not going to say anything. What awareness does is reveals. It reveal, reveals the true nature of mind. So it doesn't have that kind of... Uh, there's no personality there. You shouldn't be afraid of that. You shouldn't be afraid of that because you still can exhibit your, a personality the only thing is you're not attaching to that personality. You don't have to be the clown. You don't have to be the serious person. You just let your natural personality come up, but not attach to it saying that's, that's you. So your personality is one which is one that is natural for that moment. So that's why I tell stories, because people like to hear stories. If I just talk about the Dharma all the time, it's not going to be very interesting, but I'll tell stories that relate to things that they can they can understand, or they're funny, but they come back, or whatever it is. All of these things are coming up, and that exhibits my personality. Mine's different, but I use that personality for the purposes of function. So when I'm doing it in the right way, I'm just following function, and and there's no inside exchange in my mind that's saying, okay, you need to do this or you need to do this, or you need to look clever right now, or you need to look funny. But if funniness needs to be there, funniness is there. It is whatever needs to be in that moment. So mind and its awareness is in harmony with all the consciousness and awareness of others and is reflecting what needs to be there in that particular moment. And that's how one functions in, in, in this place. But if you're sitting there and you're you're cogitating about how deep this is, then your self got you. It's because it's very clever and it's afraid of leaving. Don't leave me. If you leave me, what's going to happen? If I leave, then you're just going to be there like some catatonic state. And you're not going to be able to move because I'm the one that moves your arm this way and I move it up this way and I move it this way and that way. No, you don't. You're, you're the one that always gets me in trouble. So why do I need you? Just get reflected up on, onto the mirror surface. So when we come back from lunch, oh, what'd they say? They're ready when you are. Oh, good. So when we come back from lunch, we're gonna work on these and we're gonna work, spend a lot more time on the techniques so I, we can try to do it and fine tune your practice. So we have enough time in the afternoon now, we've kind of set some of the basics out that we can start doing some real fine tuning about about the self. So as you're eating and as you're there, um, be mindful of harmonizing with each other. Uh, that's not socializing, that's harmonizing. And be mindful of, of um, when self arises. Okay? Food offering? Hmm? Food offering? Yeah. We'll do the food offering?